This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as the waiting game continues. It's a little after 12 noon here on Wednesday, so we can at least establish what time we're talking because, you know, there's a fairly good chance, guys, that by week's end, maybe we will know more. And I think that's probably, as we sit here, continues to be the most frustrating thing for all teams involved because here we go into the weekend now. You're going to have Notre Dame on NBC. Florida State and Clemson are going to play their games on ABC. Kansas State's going to play on Fox. The Big Ten, meanwhile, we don't know when they're going to play. We don't have an idea of what's happening. I think it has, though, become, I don't want to say fairly clear, but at least somewhat clear that playing at least Big Ten games in October doesn't seem very realistic right now as far as getting enough votes or support to get a revote to get the necessary nine votes. I think there's been enough thought on that, but we'll see. I mean, what, what the, the conference uh, says here going into Friday. Well, I think a week ago we all agreed that if they were going to try to have any chance at playing October 10th, as had been uh, quote-unquote reported, they were going to have to make a decision by this week at the absolute very latest. And here we are, uh, you know, halfway through the week and no news of anything. Uh, it seems like, you know, even if they did get that vote, they'd be kind of counterproductive that they'd be leaving themselves with such a short window to get their teams ready where I'm sure Nebraska's of the conference would be okay. They'd be able to get in line, but you know, you're probably asking a lot of other conferences or schools and programs that aren't doing anything right now to try and jump right into it, hit the ground running and get ready to play a game in less than a month. So uh, yeah, I mean, regardless of the vote, I think October 10th has come and gone. Uh, Now it's a matter of, will they be able to get this thing uh, to where the vote is in place to have football back in 2020 at all, particularly uh, maybe that post Thanksgiving window. Yeah. But is that even, I don't know. I, I feel like now that the October 10th window is most likely gone. I, it's almost like I, I don't even I don't even care to, to see football um, or to see the Big Ten play. I mean, I, I hope they do, but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, what benefit is there really? Uh, because you're still going to be the the JV season. You know, you're you're starting your year when everybody else is wrapping up. When when uh, the rest of college football is going to be talking about you know who the front runner for the Heisman is and, and which teams are are positioned to be you know to to make the college football playoff so on and so forth and it's just I don't know it's just going to be very strange I, I'm I'm I guess you could say I'm really disappointed that nothing happened here over the last week uh, to to try and get the October 10th deal off the ground. Well, flipping six votes, I think we all can agree that was never going to be easy unless the medical information that Kevin Warren shared to the Council of Presidents and Chancellors maybe wasn't accurate or maybe has changed um, since that period of time. But to me, guys, there's two things that are interesting here as we head into the end of the week. Number one, the Nebraska lawsuit and the transparency of the documents that might have to be released um, in the courtroom. And then number two, Ohio State. Does anybody truly think Ohio State is just going to sit back and accept this? And you not know, me. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe they will. Um, but I just have this feeling that Ohio State, if they say, let's say Friday, they come out and say, we are going to move forward with a Thanksgiving start. Um, that's our goal. That's what we're heading towards. And by the way, Ohio State, sorry, you can't play for a national championship. I mean, does anybody think that the, the Ohio State's it's going to willingly accept that? I, I don't. I, I really think they can make it interesting. Um, whether that's scheduling their own games or doing something um, and challenging the authority of Kevin Warren in the Big Ten Conference. And they're the one team that can do it. I mean, Nebraska obviously is willing to do something like that, but uh, they just the, the influence right now is just not the same as it would be if Ohio State did. Ohio State is the biggest domino in the conference, and if they were to pull a move like that, that disrupts absolutely everything the Big Ten wants to do as a conference. So, I mean, they're they're the ones to watch. They hold the power, and if they decide to challenge that authority and go off and do something on their own, is the Big Ten really going to kick Ohio State out of the league? As Kevin Warren said, was the punishment if you played games without the conference's blessings? Well, 
I doubt it. If you <laughs> go ahead, see what happens to your conference if you throw well, Ohio State. And Ohio State would have options. They they could either they could go independent. They could if they be wanted they to. could be a, no, a version of Notre Dame, or they could join the ACC in a New York second. Yeah, I mean they could go to any league they wanted, and like I said, they could they they could have their they could own. play in the Pac twelve exactly. They they, they could be an independent in almost every sport with the money they make. But uh, with for their reasonings to really want to push for fall football, obviously uh, competing for championships and postseason accolades and all that is important. But keep in mind, no school is going to suffer from players pulling out uh, in hopes for the NFL draft more than Ohio State. And the NFL is not going to move its draft, or sure doesn't seem that way. And so a lot of players, uh, basically Ohio State's entire two deep, is going to have to make a decision if they want to play a meaningless season in the spring or get ready for the NFL. And more often than not, I can tell you what that answer is going to be. Also, playing in the spring is a much higher risk towards influencing your 2021 fall season. So Ohio State, they're not going to lose two falls in a row. So if it comes down to it, uh, I know what decision they're going to want to push for. And like I said, they're the one school that has that clout to really be able to move the needle with the Big Ten. Yeah, they, and they have the most to lose, too. I mean, no question. they're the only team in the conference that's got a legitimate shot at winning a national Well, Penn State would argue on that, well, too, I'd say. I mean, they're a top seven team. Well, Ohio State has the best chance. The best chance. The Wisconsin best chance. and Penn State could argue that they could get in the playoff. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think that Ohio State has the most to lose. No here. question. And so, in. And I, that's the one thing that immediately comes to my mind. If there's a Thanksgiving season, uh, how many of their players are legitimately going to be, you know, interested in, in putting their bodies on the line right before the NFL draft in, in a few months? Justin Fields is going to go out there and no play way. some exhibition game against Purdue? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, yeah. And so now not only did you lose the, the opportunity to make the college football playoff and to, to win a national championship – now you've got a handful, you know, possibly dozens of guys uh, who are contemplating sitting the season out. And so your your outlook on, on whatever whatever you want to call that the winter season, the Thanksgiving season, is drastically different than what it, what it should have been or what it could have been if, it were, if there was an October 10th start date. Yeah, it's just so hard to understand why they're so married to – Thanksgiving or later, other than obviously students leave the campus at Thanksgiving. That's I mean, it, in my opinion. I mean, it's got to be that. That's the only legitimate like argument anyone can make for that Thanksgiving start is is the the the, the bubble that mm. you know the student body would be <laughs> off campus. Because there's no difference between. I mean, what if you can play in the end of November? Why can't you play? At the end of September or the well, or the middle of or the beginning of October. And did you guys know that they're voting in October to start the second semester now at UNL starting January twenty fifth? So you literally would have over Jeez. sixty days off. They're gonna eliminate the Martin Luther King Day holiday and then they're also because you know they'll start after Martin right, and right. then they're gonna eliminate spring break, which eliminating spring break does make a lot of sense. Because you don't want people leaving. And you want everybody, once they get to Lincoln, to stay, stay in Lincoln. And then when they're done, exactly. get the heck out of you. I mean, don't need a bunch of kids down in Padre. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, and it, from what you hear, like, it, student life sucks right now. I mean, like, those kids, they can't, I mean, there's nothing they can do. Yeah, when you can't party in Lincoln or any other, like, college town, there's, there's not much there for you. I'd be setting up like I know from experience. small town bus tours to bars or something. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the only reasoning I can think behind it. And I guess it makes sense in some ways the fact that, you know, you no longer have to walk that fine line of, you know, asking student athletes to do different things than the rest of the student population. Uh, you're also able to better manage them in, in a controlled environment, a.k.a. bubble scenario. But really, I mean, that's it, because from a football standpoint, it makes zero sense. There's no point uh, in playing you know, that late outside of the fact that you feel that it's, quote unquote, safer for your student athletes and you're able to maintain an aura of amateurism than you otherwise would if you try to make them do things that other students on your campus aren't being asked to do. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm <laughs> I'm fed up with this whole scenario and I'm once again frustrated that it seems like somebody dropped the ball or, or multiple people dropped the ball once again to try and get football off the ground for this fall. The f- um, I mean, there was an opportunity to, to get something together, and, and I don't know if that falls on Kevin Warren trying to, you know, sitting all the presidents down and, and you know, trying to figure out, okay, what's your, what's your holdup or, or what are your issues, what are you worried about uh, to try and get things going on October 10th. I mean, you even had 
uh, was the state of Michigan had several politicians and, and governors and speakers come forward and and you know let the basically told the Big Ten, hey, uh, you're making a big mistake here. And for for the leaders, you know, the the government leaders of the state of Michigan to come forth and say that after originally they were so against it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just n- none of it you know continues to add up this got botched so bad on the front end that it almost got to be unrepairable now where simply all that had to happen was we're going to delay the start of the season to september 26th we're going to stay in a no padded 12-hour modified practice week until we get a better gauge of the virus which by the way now is at like its lowest point since early june as far as hospitalizations and cases and percent positives etc I mean, we're basically back where it was pre-George Floyd uh, in that time when everyone's like, wow, Corona's gone. And then it came back. And so th- that's the frustrating thing. I, I get it. The University of Nebraska has averaged like 170 cases a week on campus. Um, but that's going to probably tail back down again. I mean, the numbers show it's like a two to three week trend and then they go back down. And um, I think that's what UNL is trying to survive. But guys, um, we're going to I want to talk about Keyshawn Green leaving in our next segment and just the bad luck Nebraska's had in Florida. I bet Nate will have some really good insight just on the challenges of bringing these Florida kids up here, and especially when you don't have football. So uh, we wanted to weigh in on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as what did I hit on this, guys? Um, you know, we haven't had a lot of transfer trends over this summer, but there's been one that's really jumped out, and particularly involving the state of Florida. On Friday, Keyshawn Green announced he was entering the transfer portal. Um, and here by Tuesday of this week, he announced his new home, Florida Atlantic. Um, and then, you know, earlier this summer, he had Henry Gray leave Nebraska, four star as well, uh, defensive back, and he transferred to Florida International. And then you also had Jaden Francois, um, who was here, um, you know, early enrollee, and he he transferred to Central Florida. So three four-star Floridians um, left the program before a game was even played in their career. Um, you look at the trends, Nate. That's eight Florida recruits over three classes, eight out of thirteen um, that have left the program. And some of these guys were transition class kids yeah. at the beginning. Um, but it's still a pretty eye-opening trend right now um, when you kind of look at the recruiting from a 10,000-foot view. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, now five of those came in that, that 2018 transition class, and, and you can always expect there to be an awful lot of attrition um, out of that class. In fact, a couple of those guys didn't even make it to campus ever um, when you when you look at uh, Willie Canty and um, the wide the four-star wideout that I'm drawing a blank on. Dominic Watt. Yeah, Watt right now. So. Um, but the three guys that they signed in 2020 uh, that have left, you know, it's, that is enough to, to grab your attention, you know, and, and, and each is, you could argue, better than, than the last. You know, it started with Henry Gray and then Jaden Francois and most recently with Keyshawn Green. And it's hard to, you know, put, put your finger on just one reason why this may be happening or, or if this is a trend to really be concerned about. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not sitting here hitting the panic button and, and thinking that Nebraska should completely pull out of recruiting Florida altogether. But at the same time, I think it is something to, that the staff probably needs to take a deeper look in and, and try to figure out, okay, could we have seen this coming? Is, is there, was there a sign or is there something that, that we need to do differently uh, before we sign somebody out of the state of Florida to make sure that they won't leave? Because, um, you know, this, it's, it's, a, it's a trend that could really throw a, a, a wrench into your scholarship numbers going forward if it, if it continued to happen. And, um, you know, it's, it's something, I think, to, uh, you know, to, to really pay attention to. How much do you think just, especially with these more recent guys, uh, the current state of the world is playing into this? I mean, obviously there's factors that go beyond just football, and especially when you're talking about kids that are – living halfway uh, across the country away from their homes. And we don't know what's going on with their personal lives. You know, how, you know, coronavirus stuff is impacting them, how employment is impacting their family members and loved ones. Do you think that is maybe uh, factoring in 
to this situation maybe more than some people are understanding yeah i i definitely think that has there's probably a big layer of that that that's uh impacted all three of these guys that have left in fact uh, i know henry gray talked about it a little bit when he left that he needed to get closer to, to home and uh, because there was stuff going on, you know, on the home front that w- concerning the the coronavirus that that he needed to, you know, he felt like he needed to be closer to home for, um, you know, and and I th- I think not only the coronavirus part of it, you know, and how it may be impacting their family, but um, you know, when you come when you when you sign up in in December or February to play football halfway across the country in Nebraska, and all of a sudden football is taken away from you. Um, and you are just a normal student, well, you know, what's the, what's the motivation? You know, you could, you're sitting there doing your assignments or you're in study hall as a freshman and, and doing your, your schoolwork going, man, I could be, I could be doing schoolwork back home in Miami, or I could be doing schoolwork wherever, um, you know, and, and, and be right back home and be surrounded by people I'm comfortable with. And, and, uh, you know, I think that has a lot to do with it too. And, and I know that, uh, you know, I've, I've talked with people that say, well, these guys just need to get tougher and, and they're, they're mentally weak or whatever. Well, yeah, maybe there's, maybe that's a part of it too, but, uh, I really do think when you take football away from someone who, and that's the main reason why they came here, um, it's, it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow. And they, you know, you and I have traveled down to that part of the country. I mean, f- since the first time we went down there, I think it was 2003, uh, we were in South Florida, Miami, and you go down every year and, and, and you spend time and, and you kind of gauge the culture. And I have family down there on my wife's side as well. And I can't think of a more different place in this United States in the 48 States than South Florida to Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And then you take away football. Um, you take away what they came up here for and then you take away parties and you take away social interactions. Yeah. You just said, it. I mean, student life here sucks right now because you can't do anything. And especially when you can't even play football, what, you know, what's the motivation, you know, what, what, what is bringing you joy for being in Lincoln, Nebraska when you're straining in a dorm room, half a country away from your family? Yeah. It's, it'd it's, be miserable too. Yeah. And so at least if you're back home, you have kind of that security cultural blanket around you. Um, you know, it's just, it's so different. I mean, and, and that is the challenge. I think when you look big picture, the relationships, Nate, is what stood out to me. Nebraska, at least with not Henry Gray, but Green and Francois, yep. those were late gets. Yep. And, you know, they didn't have a full year of time with them to kind of establish the relationship. So I think when you get a kid to commit in about a month's time, it's a lot easier for that kid to also leave you and go somewhere else. No doubt about it. And and that was, that was something I was going to bring up is the fact that uh, aside from Henry Gray, who committed to Nebraska in the middle of last season or, or early fall last year, um, you know, Keyshawn Green and Jaden Francois, those are guys they picked up in December and that ended up signing just a couple of weeks later. And so, yeah, when, when, you know, there's difficult times, maybe they didn't have, you know, that type of connection or, or, that relationship necessarily where, um, it, you know, the, that could be saved or they could kind of lean on, on the coach and the coach could talk them back down off the ledge. But, um, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt that the, the current situation, the student life and, you know, just everything that everyone's going through, I think is, is pretty difficult. Now with some of the older guys that, that may be from Florida or, or, you know, you want to talk about like a guy like Nadab Joseph, who just committed to Nebraska over the summer, who's a junior college guy. Well, he's been away from home. He's been stuck in independence, independence, Kansas for a couple of years going to junior college. So, I mean, he's, he's been through something he, like this. It, he's you know, already lived in a Walmart town by him. I mean, exactly. where there's nothing else in the town, but a Walmart coming up here. I mean, and he's got, he, I think he's, uh, some of those older guys are more mature to kind of see the bigger picture and, and know what's at stake here. Um, you know, and know that, Hey, man, if I can get through this, just get through this season or get through this fall, um, and then I can take another step forward in my journey to getting to where they ultimately want to go. And that's, for most kids, the next level. So now do you guys think that this trend will influence Nebraska's recruiting efforts and focus in the state of Florida? I mean, at what point do you kind of say, these guys aren't sticking, you know, for regardless of the reason, I mean, yeah. guys were leaving before the coronavirus happened. So, I mean, at what point do you kind of reevaluate how hard you try to hit Florida? Or was that a state that will always be a priority no matter what? I think it'll always be a priority, but how much of a priority, you know, um, I, I think that could be something that changes a little bit. 
Um, and I also think that we could see Nebraska become way more um, picky with the with the types that they they go after. Um, and, and really try to focus in on guys that maybe are a little bit more mature and, and that do kind of see the bigger picture and, and know that, hey, man, if, if I, you know, if I go out there, uh, there's an opportunity for me. And, and you know what, it's not going to all be, you know, uh, sunshine and, and lollipops the entire time. If I, if I can grind through this a little bit, um, you know, the, I could set myself up pretty darn well. So, uh, I do know a guy like Kamonte Grimes, who just committed to Nebraska in, in the middle of August from Naples, Florida. I know he's somebody who um, they've they've been pretty blunt with him. You know, hey, this is you haven't visited, but this is what it's like. It's way different, and they've tried to set him up for that. And and he's seemingly all about football. He loves football. And wants the opportunity to play football. So I think they felt a little bit more comfortable taking that commitment. Yeah, I think when you look at Florida Nate. Um there's a difference between the Miami South Florida kid to maybe a Naples or a panhandle or, you know, and then Georgia where they've had a lot of success. Yep. And to me, I feel like they have better success in Georgia, panhandle, Florida, Naples, that part. Uh, but Miami's it's, it's a whole different world. And when you go on signing day and you read the bios of those kids, a lot of them in Miami have been to two to three high schools. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's a trend. It's kind of an alarming trend down in Miami too, is, um, I mean, every year kids are transferring from one high school to the next and, and they've got people, handlers. You know, handlers that are, that are moving them all around the city. And, Uncles. Yeah. <laughs> that are, that are kind of, you know, taking them from, from one place to the next. And, um, you know, and I, I look at a guy like Guy Thomas, uh, that Nebraska signed out of, out of Florida a few classes back and. Um, you know, he had a, a quote unquote uncle that was looking out for him. He, he switched high schools a couple different times. And when he came to Nebraska and didn't play after his freshman year, his uncle was advising him that, hey, man, you, you got to look for a new opportunity. You, you need to go. You need to put yourself in the transfer portal and, and look for a new new place to go because, the, you know, that's things aren't working out. And it, man, you've been here for been here for like a year or a year and a half or whatever it was before he ended up putting his name in the transfer portal. So um, there's a lot of different factors at play when you're talking about kids from Florida, especially kids from South Florida. Well, guys, we think transfers are crazy right now. We'll see what this conversation looks yeah. like in January, May, whenever, because uh, it's it's going to be the year of the transfer, the year of the decommit. There's no question. But uh, when we come back basketball has taken another step to kind of solidifying maybe their plan. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan around Washett talking basketball and kind of where that's going. As we know, a lot of football listeners here, but we got a lot of basketball fans, a lot of season ticket holders. Robin, I guess first off, what are the chances, I mean, just from what you know today, what are the chances that season ticket holders from Nebraska basketball will get an opportunity to watch games inside Pinnacle Bank Arena? I think there's a good chance. Um, you know, I think right now with all these bubble conversations, that's primarily for non-conference play. Uh, I mean, to sit there and expect every team to play 20 league games in a bubble, I don't know if that's feasible. So uh, I think when you're looking ahead to the conference portion of the season, uh, I think you have to do it on campus. So, I mean, that kind of seems to be where this thing is headed. So it's just a matter of, will you get non-con games or will it just be big 10 only, which with the big 10 this year, that's still a pretty good slate. You're listening here to the Husker online show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, as we talk Nebraska basketball. And, you know, I mentioned earlier the, the break that we're going to see on campus, basically November 22nd until January 25th, you're going to have close to 60 plus days of an empty campus. Um, does it look like Thanksgiving is probably the starting point, which would only be a couple of weeks later than what it normally would be? Yeah, so a week from now, on September 16th, the Division One Council is going to vote uh, on the proposal for a November 25th start date for the college basketball season. And so that's kind of the the big uh, you know hurdle that is next up to be cleared. And pretty much everyone is assuming that's going to pass, no question. So uh, unless something crazy happens uh, over the next six or seven days, then 
November 25th will be the start of the college basketball season, which is only, you know, maybe a couple week, maybe two or three week delay from when it was originally supposed to start in early November. So that's, that's good news. Now, the next immediate question after that is what is the non-conference schedule going to look like? I mean, obviously (laughs) this week, the craziness from the ACC where every one of their head coaches agreed and proposed that every team in division one be eligible for the NCAA tournament. And I think a lot of that is partly to do with finding ways to eliminate the uh, objectivity uh, of trying to select uh, an NCAA tournament field without having a full non-conference slate. Cause if you're just having leagues play themselves, how do you seed one conference teams over another? Um, then there's the bubble hype, you know, scenarios that are getting thrown out there uh, where you have a handful of teams playing here and a handful of teams playing there. All that stuff, I think, starts to get figured out next week once they finally have the start date locked in. And so movement will have to happen, obviously, pretty quickly, uh, you know, because you want to be able to get those schedules aligned. I know that generally teams have like six months to assemble their non-conference schedule and all the logistics involved with it uh, and put piece it together. Now you're asking guys to do it in like in a month. And so, you know, the time's ticking, just like with football right now in the Big Ten. College basketball needs to figure out how it's going to schedule these games and, you know, what types of uh, hurdles are going to be involved with these teams and if there's going to be bubbles and all that stuff. But the good news is that I am very confident to say there will be college basketball. It's just a matter of what it's going to look like and how many games played. Doesn't it make sense then for Nebraska to play UNO this year? To to, I mean, not not saying they're going to do this, but a home-and-home with Creighton. Um, just, just games that make sense from a travel perspective if we're trying to kind of keep costs down and, quote, the bubble in check. Yeah, I mean, that, I guess it all depends on what they're allowed to do at this point. You know, if, if the NCAA is going to take full control of this thing and do their battle in the bubble, whatever they want to call it, uh, you know, what does that look like? How many teams get to do it? Uh, and if it is just a select group of the uh, most likely projected NCAA tournament teams playing, then that obviously leaves a Nebraska out. And will they be allowed to play their own games? And would Creighton even want to play Nebraska in that scenario? Because Creighton is in a much different scenario. They're a top-ten team. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of questions involved there that we just don't have answers to until we find out what teams are going to be allowed to do with their non-conference slate. And I know that, uh, you know, Bill Moose said he didn't think basketball was going to be played until January. So, and Fred Hoiberg said that he had heard that, um, you know, there could be some, some bubble non-conference games and then on-campus conference games. And so clearly no one really has any idea what's happening. And until they actually start to get some movement on these decisions, which should begin next week, then right now it's just all kind of you know projecting what's going to happen. In, 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 on the Big Ten perspective, playing up to 20 conference games, though, you would think has to be a priority to secure that piece of the revenue pie. Yeah, no question. And especially with this league being what it is this year, uh, you want to get as many league games in as possible. So I, I'm fairly confident that's going to happen, especially with uh, you know the adjustments of you know the spring semester with as far as in-person classes. You have a huge window to be able to knock out a ton of games where guys don't have to go to class. And so that uh, is ideal for basketball to get a good chunk of its season played while also leaving yourself plenty of room for uh, you know schedule adjustments that might pop up for whatever reason down the road. So basketball is in a much more stable situation as far as being able to play a complete season than anywhere close to what football was. And Robin, you had a really interesting story this week, and I think it was something that very few people even knew because rosters in basketball change so often, but um, Nebraska basketball now has the second tallest roster in the Big Ten Conference, and you know I think we're used to teams where was that one year Doc Sadler had like Cookie Miller and... I think Ryan Anderson was a 6'5 starting center. Uh, so... <laughs> Size has not been friendly, um, you know, to Nebraska, um, you know, as far as post play, other than Alex Marich over the years, and you know, they had some post play like that. But um, going forward, I mean, that looks like it could be a lot different. Well, so Nebraska still doesn't have that traditional, you know, Luca Garza, you know, Isaac Haas type big seven footer guy. They do have a six, one six foot ten guy on the roster in true freshman Eduardo Andre, but. From top to bottom, across the you know whole, their whole roster, as far as eligible players go, Nebraska, like you said, is the second tallest team in the Big Ten Conference in terms of average height. Uh, I guess based off 
inches. Illinois is number one at 78.69 inches. Nebraska is number two at 78.63. Now compare that 78.63 to last year. As far as the players that were uh, you know, eligible to play last season, uh, Nebraska was at 77 even. And so that is a almost full two inches taller across the board than they were a year ago. And a lot of that has to do with having a 6'8 point guard in Delano Banton and having a bunch of 6'5 to 6'7 wings uh, and, you know, some new guys like Derek Walker in the fold, Lat Mayan in the fold, uh, you know, guys that are 6'8, 6'9 that they didn't have available last year. Last year, you think they had six guys, or sorry, they had three players that were 6'8 or taller on their roster. One of them was Matej Kavas, who was hurt half the season and never even entered the paint to begin with. The other one was Kevin Cross, who was, uh, you know, fancied himself more of a shooting guard than a power forward. And that left Ivan Wade Drogo, all 17 years of him, uh, to be Nebraska's lone, quote-unquote, true big man on the roster. Well, now you have Ivan coming back. You have at 6'10", Eduardo Andre. You have Latman. You have Derek Walker. Uh, you know, Shamil Stevenson can play in there. And, you know, you have guys that uh, are just bigger and taller. And, by the way, they're long. Too. They have four guys with a wingspan of 6'10 or longer. And so added height, added length is going to be a huge blessing for a team that was one of the worst in all of college basketball when it came to rebounding, getting their shots blocked, and actually blocking shots. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift focus in the mailbag. We'll take your questions on several different topics next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus taking questions now in the weekly mailbag segment. And uh, a lot of questions as we really, unfortunately, don't have the key answers you want because this story has changed literally by the day, by the hour, as far as when we're going to see football potentially again. But wanted to have a question out of the gates here about the draft. Uh, You go back and look. Last year, guys, Nebraska had two guys drafted on their defensive line, Carlos and Khalil Davis. They both made a 53-man roster. Darian Daniels almost made the 53-man roster for the 49ers, which is one of the best teams in the NFL. They have a great defense, as we know. Almost won a Super Bowl with it. He's on the practice squad. Lamar Jackson signed to a practice squad with the New York Jets. Why wasn't the defense maybe better than people realized last year? And I'll say this. My thought was the edge play. I do think they had a really, really good defensive line last year, and a lot of people did not want to run straight at Nebraska. Iowa tried to, and they couldn't do it. Um, you know, the, the big runs were more on the perimeter, more on the edge because of the lack of play at outside linebacker. Um, but, you know, I don't know if the defensive line necessarily was the problem. Khalil Davis had one of the more productive D-line seasons we've seen since Randy Gregory. I thought more often than not, the defense did play really well for about three quarters. And then they wore down in the fourth and games got out of hand. And with the offense doing not much of anything uh, most every week, uh, the, the outcomes of the games ended up the way that they were. And, you know, I've said it many times on here before. This system that Scott Frost runs is not meant to have the defense carrying the team every single week to where they are out there winning games. It's about limiting points and creating turnovers. That's all that they're supposed to do. And the offense is supposed to be scoring in bunches to where they pull, they score at such a rate that the other offense starts to press, and that's when the defense can capitalize on mistakes. When you're asking your defense to go out there and stop Big Ten offenses for four full quarters without giving them any sort of padding whatsoever uh, on the other end, these are results you're going to get. And until the offense picks up its end, you're going to get results where people are going to say the defense isn't playing well, when in reality, they actually are playing quite well for the most part. Yeah, that's the answer right there. I mean, I felt like the defense took big strides last year. But um, when, you, when you're out in the field for however many snaps that Nebraska's defense was out there for, there's eventually there's going to be a breaking point where you wear down or, or where you give up big plays. And, and I think that's what happened. So – um, yeah, I, I thought that there were a lot of there were a lot of talented players in that defense last year, and and they they made good strides. But um, it was the the offense, you know, that uh, didn't necessarily bail them out at any point. Guys, and I, I touched on Randy Gregory there. How about Randy Gregory? Um, he's, I mean, what's his role going to be, Robin? With the you're an NFC East guy. I mean, he, is he he's going to have a big role for the Cowboys? It sounds like if he's allowed to play, he's going to start for him because he's their best pass rusher off the edge, and we know that. I mean, there's. Talent has never been an issue with Randy Gregory. He is an NFL defensive end 
through and through, but you know, I don't even know what chance he's on right now. Is six, seven, eight. I mean, so he's got another shot. We'll see if he can make the most of it, but uh, you know, history is, is not looking good on his side. Yeah. It's uh, you, you hope that, you know, this is the time where Randy's got it figured out and, and that he can go out there and, and show everybody, you know, what type of, what type of player he is and, and that he's overcome some of the, the personal demons that he's had to deal with. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not holding my breath necessarily. And he's got such a fine line to walk too. Oh, yeah. Like there's, there's not going to be any lenience for him. If, if it, you know, it's a small infraction, I mean, he's basically like in a Josh Gordon situation where like, if he does have another mistake or whatever, uh, I mean, you're looking at a serious consequence to where you're missing not only multiple games, but maybe even seasons. Yeah. I just remember him at Nebraska, that game at Michigan, his first year, just was unbelievable the way he just completely shut down. I mean, the plays he made on, you know, against a pretty good Wolverine team. And then that Miami game the next year, um, that was really about the best we saw him play. And then, um, you know, the things that he was doing to his body, his body kind of wore down by the end of his time where he couldn't even play. Mm-hmm. Um, by season's end, he was like 210 pounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you just hope Randy gets it going. Uh, Nate, recruiting question. Um, did I hear correctly that the recruiting class size number will be 25 to maybe even 26 um, based on kind of the recent reports of the scholarship numbers? Yeah, I think that, you know, early on, it looked like this was going to be a, a fairly small class and, and be, you know, just maybe slightly over 20. Uh, but, you know, given the the current situation and, and the attrition that Nebraska has had, um, you know, I think that you can expect them to sign a full boat, uh, if, if not maybe even a player over. Um, you know, and a large, large reason why is because I know they've, they've gotten uh, – they kind of had to petition for, for a scholarship back. It was a Henry Gray's scholarship, I believe, that they, they kind of had to petition for to, to see if they could get that back since he left before – really before even he finished an entire semester or right after he f- finished one semester in the spring – um, so they were able to get a spot back there and, um, you know, and, and I think that when you look at the numbers and how everything's stacking up, I, I think that we're going to see close to a full boat now. You're listening here to the Husker Online show as, as we take your questions in the mailbag, high school football is playing. We've seen college now play NFL opens here this week. Why can't the big 10 play? I mean, what do you think is holding this up? Um, and you know, I, I think I answered this in the chat this week. Um, I, I just think the landscape of every state is different than Nebraska, different than Iowa, different than Ohio State, where not every team has had the luxury of having their players maybe trained up and working out like we've seen here or, or Iowa or Ohio State. So I think there's this notion of coaches in this conference that know their team's not going to be ready to play in October. They know if they do play, they're going to look like Navy did against BYU yeah. and not be physically prepared and just get manhandled. You know, if you're Jeff Brom, you lost Rondell Moore. You haven't really had the time with your team you want. You got Bob Diaco who's trying to install a new 3-4. We know what that looks like in year one. <laughs> um, so if you're Brom, yeah, you're pushing towards the spring because you're probably going to be 2-8 and eight if you play in, in October. And I think there's a lot of coaches in this league, unfortunately, that have that thought. Like, you know what? I'm still going to get the same three-star recruit I'm going to get in the spring that I'm going to get now. I don't recruit rivals 100, 250 kids. It doesn't really matter if we play in October or if we play in December or whenever. Yeah, and I'm sure that's a big part of it. I also think, you know, simply put, arrogance, ego, and, uh, you know, politics are probably the driving forces in all of this. Not politics. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll, I'll leave it at that. We'll keep, I don't want to go to the open scrolls here, but uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the, the easy answer. We've talked about it ad nauseum about. Just the fact that you know certain people have different viewpoints on the situation and the priority of playing football is much different in people like Nebraska's eyes and other states around the conference. So kind of it's easy answer on that one. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that there's a lot of different agendas going on out there. And, and the other part of it, too, is, I mean, you've got university presidents making this decision instead of athletic directors. And I think if it were the athletic directors, there would be no question that we'd probably be watching Big Ten football right now. But 
Um, you know, for the presidents, it's, you know, they're not, they're not the ones losing out on 600 and, you know, however many, $700 million as a conference. They're still cash and tuition checks. Yeah, they're still cash and tuition checks. And that's where their priority is. And, and, uh, you know, they are probably viewing this whole situation with the uh, coronavirus and whatnot through a much different lens than athletic directors and coaches and football players. Now, this is kind of a hard one to answer, but a year from now, is Kevin Warren the commissioner of the Big Ten Conference? I'm going to say no. Um, I, and, you know, I don't know if he'll necessarily be fired, but I think what he's probably been through is not what he expected and the damage <laughs> the damage that this is going to do long term. His job's not going to be fun, and he's going to probably constantly be – the guy blamed, and maybe he should be, maybe he shouldn't be. We don't know all the in, inside details of the president meetings and council meetings, um, but I don't know. I I lean towards we probably a year from now won't see Kevin Warren. And so much of it depends on what those other leagues that are playing do. Uh, if if this blows up in their face and everybody's having to shut down football and they have these massive breakouts, all that stuff, all of a sudden Kevin Warren and the people that made this decision look pretty smart. And if see vice versa. They play successful seasons, and the Big Ten's just sitting here like trying to figure out how they're going to play six games in January. Uh, yeah, there's no way he survives that. And, you know, to fair or not, he is the, the face of this decision. You know, obviously there's multiple people involved, a lot of decision makers that, that led to this, or you know, so we think. But, you know, Kevin Warren's stamp is on this. His signature is on the decision, uh, and he's he's the front man. And if it blows up in the Big Ten's face, then he is the guy that's going to be blamed, and uh, for a good majority of it, rightly so. Yeah, and that's what he signed up for when he took the job. I mean, I, I think – well, personally – I don't. I don't think there's any way he survives this. Um, you know, and, and I, again, I'm not saying he's he's going to be fired. But uh, if I were him, and and all the other conferences get the season off just fine without a without a hitch or with very minimal trouble or, or issues that arise, there's no way I I would I I would hightail it out of there because uh, the backlash that you're going to receive is is not going to be good. But um, you know. I just I keep looking back and saying, asking myself, okay, well, would this be any different if Jim Delaney were in charge instead of Kevin Warren? And I have no doubt that this would be very, very different. Yeah, the decision might be the exact same, but we would have full transparency. Yep. Jim Delaney would be out there like, this is why I made that decision. I don't care what you think. This is, you know, it's like, been exactly. 10 days of silence out of the Big Ten. Yeah. I mean, literally, they've it, just been quiet. And the people that were leaking out the stuff that Warren wanted, they've been quiet. Yeah, suddenly those sources dried up, huh? So <laughs> it's, it just tells you there's a lot going on behind the scenes. But we're going to close the show next. We're going to talk some recruiting. Uh, we got out and saw more guys play last week. Uh, we've hit, I believe, eight games now over the first two weeks. So uh, we'll give some thoughts on what we saw. Nate was in Sioux Falls. Uh, I was out at Norris. Um, Robin got a chance to see Bellevue West, so we'll even uh, include Robin on this, and he can chime in on uh, Bellevue West. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. We're going to talk some recruiting, some games that we got out and uh, had a chance to see this past week. But before we do that, uh, this segment, is brought to you by our friends at Kugler Vision. It's now been a year, Nate, um, and since we had our partnership with Kugler Vision, and um, just want to say thank you. First of all, to Kugler Vision, they've done an excellent job uh, in this partnership with Husker Online, and Nate, um, lots of things going on still here at Kugler Vision. Yeah, there are tons of things going on, and you know they've gone above and beyond to try and. Uh, get back and now that they've uh, you know you're able to to get into the office elective surgeries are back on the table uh, they've made it easier than ever to get in there uh, to have your consultation to go through the process to see which vision correction uh, surgery is best for you um, with minimal contact with anybody and and I think that's one thing that really stands out is just the, the customer service uh, everything each step of the way has been so easy and and uh, and downright pleasurable for me uh, that uh, that's why I'm recommending everybody uh, you know to go there if, if they need vision correction elective surgery so uh, go to coolervision.com schedule that consultation and I guarantee you you're gonna uh, enjoy the results all right well let's talk recruiting and I want to go right to you Robin because you you were out at Bellevue West and Mike O'Reilly and Caden um, Helms, two guys in Nebraska, has already offered a number of power fives for 2022, have offered them. 
They already have Keegan Johnson on that team going to Iowa. But, you know, I, I think week one, a new star has emerged for the future in Davon Hall, who Iowa, the 2023 prospect, by the way, he's a freshman, uh, Iowa just offered him. I, you, know, you, you tweeted this, but uh, I can't remember very many times where a guy plays one varsity game and picks up a Power 5 offer. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. And, oh, yeah, he only had one catch in that game. It was a 63-yard <laughs> touchdown on the second drive of the game, but nonetheless, it's a I got the offer. pretty impressive start. And, yeah, this is a guy that I know – um, you know, up in Omaha, people have been talking about, you know, for over a year now, back when he was in eighth grade, that this is a guy you need to keep an eye on. And, um, you know, and Nate and Sean, you guys gave me a heads up to just see what this kid's all about. And I remember watching warmups on Friday night and I was like, that kid's a freshman. Are you kidding me? Like he looks like a solid junior, let alone a ninth grader playing his first ever varsity high school football game. So, uh, you know, like I said, it didn't take long for him to showcase what he's all about. And, uh, clearly he is just starting what should be a massive recruiting cycle, uh, over the next four years. And, uh, that Iowa offers the first of many to come. I have no doubt about that. Nay, that's the youngest offer that we've seen yeah. in the state. Now, Cameron Jurgens got it at the end of his freshman year. Well-deserved for him as well. Back then he was a state champ and shot put and discus, I believe as a freshman, as well as a varsity starter in basketball and football. But to see a kid get it this early, and especially a state like Nebraska. I mean, you just the development here is typically not on par with California, Florida, Texas, where maybe you do see a ninth grader get one that quickly, but this is unheard of. Yeah, it really is unheard of. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing that separates uh, or makes this situation a little bit different is the fact that he is playing on a team that's loaded. It's not like he is a young talent coming up and this is a team void of playmakers. And so uh, that makes him look better than maybe what he really is. They're, they're loaded with playmakers. And He's starting on a receiving core that has three other power five recruits or it, commits. Yeah. It, and now they have four. Yeah, now they have four of them. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, I mean, I think that's one thing to me that's like, whoa, when you really step back and look at it, just beyond the time – or how, how early the offer came. It's what he's already done uh, just to get on the field as a, as a freshman uh, on this talented team. And then you talk to people who know him uh, about how he's wired and, and his work ethic and how he's always going above and beyond, um, you know, wanting to wanting to work harder or do more or, or what what else can I do? And and just just how he's wired. And it's like, wow, this guy has a chance to be really, really special. You're listening here to the Huskar Online Show. Uh, we're talking recruiting. Um, now, I had a chance, guys. I was out in Norris. I saw James Carney, um, the tight end who, by the way, he surpassed A.J. Rollins and eight in the state rankings. Uh, Carney is now five, yep. um, and that's where it stops. Um, we don't do any further on rivals. Um, we used to do a top ten um, years ago. We keep it at five now. Uh, but Carney, the number five-ranked prospect in the state, picked up a Wyoming offer this week. Play three of the game, Nate. He had a 71-yard touchdown, really showcased his speed, his stride. I think this is a guy that ends up getting a Nebraska offer, especially in a world where maybe they can take 26. Yeah, to me, I think I think he's a no-brainer. After seeing his transformation at the Warren Academy Showcase in July, just the way that he's he's changed his body, um, you know, he, he's he's dropped you know 30 pounds, or he's had 30 pounds of uh, uh, I guess he's, his body mass has changed uh, from you know transforming um, you know some bad weight into good weight and, and the way that he has increased his speed. You know he ran a four six flat electronic forty at the the Warren Academy Showcase. Um, and just to kind of put that in perspective, the second best tight end time at that case, at the showcase was Thomas Fedoni at four six three. So. Um, I mean, he has, I think, elevated his game tremendously uh, and really took advantage of, of the time where, with, during the quarantine and everything where some guys may have been able to, to just kind of coast and relax where James Carney was pushing, pushing it hard. And, uh, and I think it's going to pay off in the form of, of some bigger offers. And uh, I think Nebraska is right there getting close. Iowa. Iowa is very, very close. They're interested. K-State, I know, is very, very interested. So there's a lot of Power 5 teams that are right on the cusp of offering him and and I think it's well deserved and I can tell you Nate Saturday morning he was working out with Chris Slatt and he went in to kind of just do a shakedown workout and he was contacted by both Iowa 
and Kansas State Saturday morning. Yep. Um, so, and something tells me Iowa, they're not happy about no. what Nebraska's <laughs> done. And the Davon Hall offer this week showed that. And just you just get this suspicion that they might offer James Carney um, here sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, and I would not be surprised to see that. I, I for. Um, I, I don't think there's any secret that Iowa is a little upset that Nebraska was Three able kids. To, to go in and and get Thomas Fedoni, who is you know the the basically the crown jewel recruit in the state of Iowa this year, um, and maybe the best recruit to come out of there in, in a very long time. Uh, but also, you know, two other guys and, and Henry Latovsky, Seth Malcolm, um, they've been able to to poach a couple, you know, a couple four star rated guys that, that used to be on their roster, too, uh, that are now on Nebraska's roster. So um, I, I think that their their jimmies are a little rustled uh, to, to, to throw a Red Sea Scrolls phrase in there. And, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to 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 see them go ahead and, and offer James Carney before Nebraska, just like they were, you know. They didn't waste any time offering Davon Hall before Nebraska. All right, Nate, and then I want to get on this with you. You were in Sioux Falls. You saw Randolph Kapai. Uh, first time you've seen him play in a game in person, am I correct? Yep. Uh, what were your thoughts? I know you've seen him in combine setting, I believe, but uh-huh. what were your thoughts seeing him in pads, in person? What did you like? What do you What do you want to see improvement on? Yeah, it's super athletic. I mean, he's got all the tools to be a tremendous uh, linebacker at the next level, I, I believe. You know, he's he's pushing – he's 6'2", 6'2 and a half. Um, he's, he's added some good weight. He's about 185 now, almost 200 pounds. Uh, he can run, and he is a natural in pass coverage, which is something that I don't think you can – you just can't really really teach those natural instincts um, in, in pass coverage, and I know that's something that Nebraska really covets. Um, now he does need to con- – <clears throat> excuse me, he needs to continue to getting bigger and stronger. Uh, I think that's kind of maybe his downfall right now is at the point of attack with uh, when, when he's going up against guys that are, that are bigger than he is. Uh, you know, he's made the transition from being an outside linebacker at the, the high school level to being an inside guy. So he's dealing with some, some bigger bodies at the moment. Um, and, and I think that's a little bit different for him. But, man, he, he's got the potential to be a tremendous playmaker with just his natural ability. And, um, and he's getting better and better at the game of football. And uh, I like the fact that he's, you know, he's a smart kid and, and he's got some leadership qualities to him, too. All right, well, it'll be a very busy weekend again of game coverage as at least right now we're tentatively scheduled to be at five games on Thursday and Friday. So um, it's a new feature we've been able to add because we just have more time without having uh, Husker games on the weekends to worry about. Uh, We've been able to get out and see more games. And after this weekend, we'll have 13 uh, different games covered. So uh, make sure you're logged on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday as um, we will bring you a lot of the exclusive coverage from the different games that we get out and see. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 